Let us turn to the word of God. We're reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, from verses 46 to 56. Luke's Gospel is the third book of the New Testament, after Matthew and Mark. And the context for this is um, Mary has just uh, heard the angel Gabriel announce to her that she will conceive and bear a son, Jesus. And she goes to Elizabeth's house. Elizabeth is a relative. She goes to her house. And Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist. She was pregnant at that time. And when Elizabeth hears Mary, she blesses her and she um, affirms Mary's faith. So Mary praises God. And uh, in these words, it's a song of praise. It's also called the Magnificat for obvious reasons, as Mary magnifies the Lord. So let's read from verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. As always, it's a joy to be with you in God's word. This morning, we're starting a series titled The Songs of Christmas, Volume 2, where we'll dive into the Bible, not looking at popular Christmas hymns that we might sing today, but we're diving into the Bible, looking at the songs of various people in Scripture that surround the birth of our Lord Jesus. So we're looking at songs of the Bible, and this morning we'll be opening up with Mary's song, also known as the Magnificat. And then tonight Josh will take us through Zechariah's song, and then next week we'll hear the angel's song, and the week after we'll dive into Simeon's song. So look forward to those as well. But to begin this morning, I want you to come back with me to a relatively normal French winter's day in 1858. In a small town located in the foothills of the Pyrenees Mountains in southern France, when a poor young teenage girl named Bernadette Soubirous, as the French would hopefully say, uh, was out collecting firewood along the bank of the river to help out her poor mother. And as she was out gathering firewood in the cold, her attention was drawn to the noise of rustling in the bushes. And then Bernadette saw a beautiful young girl of about 16 or 17 
who was dressed in a white robe and girded at the waist with a blue ribbon. She wore upon her head a white veil, which gave just a glimpse of her hair. Her feet were bare, but covered by the last folds of her robe, and a yellow rose was upon each of them. She held on her right arm a rosary of white beads with a chain of gold shining like the two roses on her feet. Bernadette knelt and began to pray the rosary. And when she had finished, the young woman smiled and disappeared. Following this, young Bernadette claimed that this woman, the Virgin Mary, visited her a total of 18 times and most significantly revealed herself to Bernadette with these words. I am the Immaculate Conception. Now, this story is characteristic of many strange mystical stories of miracles and of appearances that have marked the history of the Roman Catholic Church. And notably, this specific story of Bernadette and Mary conveniently happened just four years after Pope Pius IX had defined and promoted the teaching of the Immaculate Conception of Mary, which teaches that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was sinless from birth. This teaching of Mary in the Roman Catholic Church is a false one. It isn't biblically true. And flowing from this comes a host of other false teachings surrounding the person of Mary. Teachings such as the need to pray to Mary as the mediatrix or mediator, between people and Christ, which is why many pray the rosary daily, reciting the prayer, Hail Mary. And we see she's also given by the Roman Catholic Church the title Queen of Heaven. Queen of Heaven. You see, when a human is wrongly attributed sinlessness, as in Mary's case here, it makes sense that she would be wrongly exalted to a place that should only be occupied by God. Now, this morning is not a sermon about the Roman Catholic Church, but about Mary and her song in Luke chapter 1. But we really need to ask the question as we look at this passage, how blessed really is this virgin? And we need to ask for ourselves, how does God's blessing come to us through her? Now, the answer might surprise you. But before we dive into Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56, I'd like to set the scene to help us understand what's going on in Mary's song of praise. So if you have your Bibles in front of you, please open to Luke chapter 1 because you'll want to reference as we're going through. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to head out to the foyer now as we do a quick scan of what's happened up to today's passage. So there's a Bible in the foyer if you'd like to grab one. Luke chapter 1. So, so far in chapter 1 of the book of Luke, the author, Luke, is seeking to compile an accurate narrative account, an orderly account of Jesus' life and ministry to give us certainty about Jesus and the message of salvation in him. Luke opens in verse 5 with the story of Zechariah, a Jewish priest who had an angel named Gabriel appear to him whilst he was ministering in the temple. The angel gave good news, telling Zechariah that his wife, Elizabeth, who was childless, 
would become pregnant in her old age, and that they would have a son together whose name was to be called John. And John was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb and make ready a people for the Lord. And we see God immediately fulfilling this promise with Elizabeth becoming pregnant. Then Luke turns the story onto a virgin in verse 26, whose name was Mary, where the angel Gabriel also appeared to her and declares to her that she will conceive and bear a son who will be called Jesus, who will be great and be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will rule over God's kingdom forever and ever. This is a glorious promise. Mary is going to give birth to God's long-awaited Messiah, King. Mary asks how this will happen because she's a virgin. And the angel answers her that the Holy Spirit will come upon her. Thus, there will be a miraculous conception and Jesus will be called the Son of God. Thus, the promised king, the one who is fully God and fully man, will be conceived in Mary's womb. Mary is also told the good news about her relative Elizabeth. And so in verse 39, she excitedly rushes to the town where Elizabeth lives, no doubt to praise God with Elizabeth and delight in the promises that they'd both been given by God. When Mary arrives, Elizabeth's baby leaps for joy in her womb and she was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophetically exclaimed in verse 42. I'll read from there. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. After all these events and this incredible prophetic shout of joy from Elizabeth, Mary shouts out her praise in song and the song that we're looking at today. And we're going to look at it in two parts. Firstly, under the heading, God's blessing to Mary in verses 46 to 49, and then God's blessing to his people in verse 50 to 55. So let's jump into it now from verse 46. I'll read. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Here in verse 1 is where we get the name, as Manya mentioned for us before, that's commonly given to Mary's song, the Magnificat, which is the Latin word for magnifies. My soul magnifies the Lord. This language that Mary is using is biblical language for worshipping God so entirely, so zealously that his greatness is clearly in focus. And see, this worship, it's springing from deep within, from her soul and her spirit. And these are just two ways of saying that her entire being is rejoicing in the Lord and gives praise to her God. 
There's an intense joy just emanating from Mary, and she delights in her God and what he promised. It's hard to imagine how intense her rejoicing is, but we must try and enter into that joy with her as we read through her song and hear of God's blessing to her. And notice something important. She's rejoicing in God as her saviour. This praise is coming forth from God's promise to her of the saviour king that would be conceived in her womb. The angel Gabriel has already revealed Jesus' name to her. And Jesus literally means, from the Hebrew, Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. And no doubt, this is why Mary is praising God as her saviour. Because through Jesus comes salvation to all God's people. Now, this includes Mary. Even Mary needed a saviour. And when you consider the nature of this salvation, the nature of this salvation for God's people, that the nature of it is primarily a salvation from sin, then we see that Mary was not sin-free. She needed a saviour, and it was the one that was in her womb. And Mary goes on and gives reasons for her rejoicing. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now, this language, and indeed the language of the whole of Mary's song, echoes the same language of a prayer made 1,000 years beforehand by a lady named Hannah. And this was what Mark read out for us in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah was a childless woman and was being tormented because of her childlessness by her husband's other wife. And this drove Hannah to prayer. And she asked the Lord, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And that's exactly what the Lord did. And Hannah's prayer in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel is giving praise to God. And if you compare this to Mary's song, it's clear that Mary is drawing upon these things as she sings her song. Notice now as we look again at Luke 1 verse 48, Mary says that God had stooped low and looked on her humble estate, which is actually the same word that Hannah uses in her prayer when she asks God to look on the affliction of, of your servant. And this is highlighting the condescension of God to his people. How he stoops down and looks on them and cares for them, not because of their might or glory, but because of his love and grace in Christ, seeing them in their misery and saving them by his power. And it's clear here that God often chooses what is weak in the world to shame the strong and display his power so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And Mary follows on 
For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary recognizes that God has uniquely blessed her. And that this blessing is that all, generation, all generations from that day on will recognize, will see and behold. They will see she has been uniquely blessed. And it's at this point that we may ask, just how blessed was the Virgin Mary? What had the Mighty One done for her? Brothers and sisters, truly, she was blessed beyond imagination. She was the only woman to ever walk this earth who had in her a baby, a human child, conceived of the Holy Spirit of God. Consider too that the baby that she carried in her womb was the maker of the universe who had taken on flesh. The baby that she nursed made the stars in the heavens. The baby that was being nourished and looked after by her was the one that made her, gave her life and sustained her in every moment. She carried the king of ages in her womb who would bring redemption and eternal life to sinners, who would establish his eternal kingdom over all creation. She was blessed beyond belief with a privilege that will never, ever come to any other woman ever again. Therefore, brothers, sisters, we must recognize and praise God for the high and unique privilege that she had. Yet we must not elevate her to a place that only belongs to God. She was not sinless. She was not perfect. She needed redemption herself. And that baby in her womb would be her sinless redeemer. The far greater blessing to Mary than the conception of Christ is that salvation brought by her Savior. And as such, we look on Mary and rejoice. But we rejoice in our God who worked this miracle by his grace. A miracle for the salvation of his bride, the church. Now we turn with Mary as she shifts in her song and begins to focus not just on God's blessing to her, but on God's blessing to his people and what God has done for them. Let's read together from verse 50 on God's blessing to his people. Verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Here we have more language that's being borrowed from the prayer of Hannah. 
in the humbling of the proud, and his covenant mercy on those who are faithful to him. So these are key themes in Hannah's prayer, the humbling of the proud and God's mercy to those who are faithful to him. And the books of 1 and 2 Samuel play these themes out quite strongly. Remember Hannah's prayers at the beginning of 1 Samuel. And the books that follow play these themes out. And we see two kings, King Saul and King David. And we see their different hearts. We see King Saul and his pride. And we see King David and his faithfulness and humility. And you watch as the books roll on. You see the demise of Saul as his prideful heart takes over, rebelling against God and his commands. And you watch as God exalts the humble and lowly David who becomes Israel's mightiest king. Mary's song is declaring this character of God, his power, his sovereignty and his goodness, his ability to humble the proud and exalt the humble. She's declaring these things as in the past, no doubt recalling God's salvation of Israel, all he'd done for his people in delivering them from their enemies. But in remembering this, she's making a declaration about God's character and work in the present and into the future that's shown in the birth of Jesus. It's in Jesus that God will show his strength to deliver his people from all their enemies. It's in Jesus, in him, God will scatter the proud. It's Jesus who will bring down the mighty from their thrones. Jesus who will show mercy to those who fear him. Jesus who will fill the hungry with good things. It's Jesus who showers blessings on those who are utterly dependent on him and will cast away all those who believe that they have anything without him, sending them away ultimately with nothing empty. All of this centers upon Christ, the one that came to Mary's womb, and it's in him that God displays all his character and promises. This is what Mary is declaring. Finally, we see that Mary rejoices. She rejoices that in the coming of Christ, God is fulfilling his covenant promises to Abraham and to his offspring. She says this in verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. If you aren't familiar with the Bible, you may not know that all the way back in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, in chapters 12 through 17, God made promises to a man named Abraham by way of something called a covenant, a God-initiated binding relationship with blessings and with obligations. And in this covenant, God promises to bless Abraham and his offspring by making Abraham into a great nation, making Abraham's name great by blessing him with promised land and promises that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. 
And God seals his great promise to Abraham in a very special way in Genesis 15. When two parties enter a covenant, it was the custom back then for them to slice in half certain animals and they would put one half on one side and one half on the other side. And it was a solemn and binding event where they had to walk through those pieces. And this meant that they had to keep their end of the covenant. For Abraham, that meant perfect faithfulness to God. And if they failed to keep their end of the covenant, then they justly deserved to be sliced in half, just as those animals were that they walked through together. This was a serious event. This was a big event. You don't do this lightly. Yet we see something incredible happen. God puts Abraham into a deep sleep. And instead of Abraham walking between the pieces, God alone walks through. And in doing so, declares his faithfulness alone to fulfill his covenant. And ultimately, too, shows that he will take the punishment for the covenant breaking of his people. Namely, Abraham and his offspring. It's a gracious and merciful covenant, dependent on God alone. He has promised to do it. And this covenant comes to full fulfillment in Christ, which Mary recognizes and is declaring here. In the birth of Christ, God is remembering his covenant promises and mercy to Abraham and to his offspring. It's in Christ that God blesses the sons of Abraham, which are those who believe in God by faith, just as Abraham did, and it was counted to him as righteousness. In Christ, God makes a great nation, a great kingdom made up of blessed and redeemed peoples from every tribe, language, and nation. In Christ, believers will be brought into the perfect, eternal, promised land where we will one day dwell perfectly with our God forever. And in Christ, God takes on the punishment for the covenant breaking of his people. Mary recognizes that in Jesus, God is perfectly fulfilling these promises to Abraham and to his offspring. And these covenant blessings come to us in Christ, to those who fear him and believe in him. Therefore, we must trust Christ alone for salvation as the one from whom all the covenant promises center upon, by whom blessing comes to us. Finally, just a quick comment on verse 46. It says, And Mary remained with her, that's Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. It seems that Mary left just before the birth of John the, Baptist's, uh, of John the Baptist. And we're not told why, but her leaving and heading home sets the focus upon the birth of John the Baptist, which comes very next in the chapter. 
And please come along tonight and you'll hear more from Josh on what follows on from there. So we've already answered the question, how blessed really was Mary? But we need to answer the other question. How does God's blessing come to us through her? Well, the answer is not by praying to her as mediator. But the answer is in her son, God's son. In Jesus Christ is all the blessing that God has prepared for those who love him. And it all comes to us by faith in him. Trust in Jesus. Go to him in prayer. Ask him for forgiveness and life and salvation. And in him, you'll be sure to find all of that. In Jesus Christ, we have a perfect king. We have a perfect savior. We have a perfect sacrifice. And brothers and sisters, we must rejoice as Mary rejoiced, delighting in the goodness of God, that he would look on us and save us, wretched sinners that we are. But God humbled himself and took on flesh. The infinite God entered the womb of a lowly virgin to be born that he should come and die for the people of God. Brother and sister, to die for us. Yet not only to die, but to rise from the dead, bringing his people salvation from sin and death and bringing them infinite blessing in him. Jesus, our God, has come to save us. And at this, we must share the joy of Mary and faith in him and rejoice in him. Finally, for some of you this morning, this passage provides a great challenge. As we've seen, God will humble the proud. God will humble the proud. If you're living as though he doesn't matter, as though you are at the centre of the world, God will one day bring you under his just judgment. This is coming for you unless you repent. Turn away from your sin and turn to him and find mercy in Christ. And indeed, he is merciful when you come to him. Come before him in prayer and ask him for mercy, even now, and trust in him. If you'd like to talk more about Jesus, please come and chat with me after the service or take a booklet from our foyer. You'll find one there titled Two Ways to Live. Please take that home, read it, and consider it deeply. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, how greatly have you showered us with infinite blessings in Christ. How great is your mercy and condescension in coming and taking on flesh, entering the lowly virgin's womb, that he might be born and be raised to to die for us who have sinned against you, that you might show your mercy to us in him. We pray, O Lord God, that we would rejoice as Mary rejoiced, 
seeing the salvation and the blessing that comes to us in him and see the miracle and the wonder of all that you've done purely by your love, purely by your grace. And may we worship you as the just and good and loving and merciful and condescending God. And may we worship you with reverence and awe. Would you lead us all our days, fixing our eyes upon Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.